Oh, what a weekend! See what I'm wearing? Wait, see what I'm wearing? Andre in baseball. A-N-D-R-E-A-N. That's my high school. Uh, my good friend, Coach Dave Pitchker, won his not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, but eighth state championship for the beloved Niners, the lovely Lee Ross Dockett, who, by the way, will be joining us today. I had to get her opinion on the ruling, at least in the swimming world, on when transgender swimmers are allowed, but we will get to that. But anyway, my high school won an eighth state championship. Uh, I love being on OutKick. I love being on 107.5. I love playing basketball at Andrean. I love playing basketball at Indiana, but I am most proud of being a former baseball player for Dave Pishker at Andrean High School because my man, actually, I feel like we all started that program from scratch. Zero, zip, nada. I mean, we had nothing going. And we had pros in the school, but we had nothing going. Next thing you know, he takes it over. I'm on his first team. Whole thing changes. We're winning championships, and I'm right there yelling and screaming, having a great time doing it, baby. That's right. Anyway, welcome, and I hope you're all having a great – I hope you had a great Father's Day weekend. To you fathers out there, I got to tell you, man, uh, we deserved it. And not only fathers, but grandfathers, uncles, aunts, guard, anybody that steps up for children. Anybody that says, hey, look, I am a part of this person's life. I am going to be there for this young child. I'm going to be there for this young adult. Happy Father's Day to all of you. It doesn't have to be men. A lot of cases, it's women. I don't care. Father's Day represents all encompassing in my world. I'm a stepfather and a very proud stepfather. And uh, there you go. So, all right. The world is amazing. Like, if you ever want to know the definition of hateful, if you don't agree with me, then I'm going to come at you. All you got to look is at our little friends, the liberals. But now, ladies and gentlemen, they're asking for big empathy. Why are they asking for big empathy? Our writer here, Greg Doyle, a great writer, says, well, an old man fell off a bike. A nice old man. I don't think a nice old man... Lies to the American public. Uh, I don't think. Do we have the video? Can we play the video of uh, Biden falling off his bike? They're sad. You think it's funny an old man riding, uh, falling off his bike? No, if it were any other old man. But my man here, Joey Bag of Donuts, Joey Corn Pops, Joey Corn Pops acts like he gets his right foot stuck here. Uh, Joey Corn Pops acts like he's this tough guy. He wears his aviators. He challenges firemen. He challenges people to push-up contests. You know, he has uh, ridiculed the way Donald Trump walked upstairs. Hey, karma's a mother, man. He ridiculed Trump. Oh, look at how I run up these stairs, and look at how Joe, uh, look at how Trump does. Well, look at how, oh, boy. Down goes Joey. My wife and I were at a bar called Tilly's. An older guy named Billy fell. The hammered. I helped him up eventually, but at first I just had to give the safe side. Down goes Billy. Jolt and Joey Cornpipes fell down. Our writer here says this is a nice man that fell on his bike. <laughs> right. All of a sudden we want empathy. And then later on in the tweet exchange, our, our writer says, and if you don't agree with me, you're a xenophobe, a homophobe. 
Okay. Hey, I ain't a xenophobe. I'm not a transphobe. I'm not a homophobe. But I got to tell you, man, anytime a guy that paints himself a certain way does that, I get a kick out of it. I'm a bad guy. I'm sorry. But if he weren't the president of the United States, if he were just some, quote, nice man, a nice man doesn't say the racial things that Joe Biden said in the 70s. A nice man doesn't try to scam the American public with his son out of billions. Doesn't make me a transphobe. Doesn't make me a homophobe. Just means I don't like the guy. And I think he's a corrupt politician, which I think most are. And I have no idea how the dude got elected. And if you elected my man here, man, you, you're, you, <laughs> you are the problem. You ain't part of the, You know how people say, well, you're part of the problem. ESPN had a diversity seminar before the football season a few years back, and uh, all that one lady did was tell everybody how they're part of the problem. She ended up leaving and going to NBC. I can't remember her name. She tried, she tried to bamboozle ESPN out of like $8 million. ESPN told you to take a hike. She got a better job. She's at NBC hosting Sunday Night Football. But, uh, he, you know, but, but – you know, she's everybody on the on the call was part of the problem. Okay, we're all part of the problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man, Dan, is that one of your donated bikes? No, <laughs> no, Ryan D. No, our YouTube chat is pumping. Ooh, a lot of them think he was going to go sniff the hair of the little girl. But hey, empathy, or else the indie star will call you xenophobe, homophobe. They'll call you names if you don't agree because you must agree with their policies and show empathy. (laughs) But my man, keep them coming, by the way, Dylan. Keep them all coming, all the comments coming. Man, there's a little girl in the area. He want to sniff some hair. But seriously, on a serious note, who lets this guy do that? I mean, Joe Biden's supposed to be a doctor. Hey, look, I understand power. I understand you're trying to show. Can you imagine Putin going up, boy, this guy again? Even Obama. Remember Obama famously saying, never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F things up. Joe Biden couldn't even get to the talk to people without effing it up. That's the greatest quote ever. That is. Because that's not the most damaging. That's the most telling. From Obama, uh, from Obama, like Obama's America's do nothing president. We all get that. He's the greatest. Po- oh, he's the greatest president ever. Yeah. Okay. What would he do? Anyway, but when he, the most professional of politicians, criticizes you, man, you got a problem. And Uncle Joe just did it again. Never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to f things up. People can write articles about it. People can do whatever. Uh, <laughs> but man, that dude, but Hey, if you don't agree with us, if you make fun of Biden and you're a xenophobe, a homophobe, man, I ain't none of them. I know this. Jolton Joe Biden falling down is funny. Here's, here's a guy, our guy from Fox news right here. Biden's been in Washington his whole life. So for him being president is like riding a bike. My friend Jennifer on Twitter just kept posting them. I mean, she kept posting them. There was pictures of Biden eating training wheel. It was just too good. So I guess she's xenophobe, homophobe, somethophobe, everyophobe, because we, we don't. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Let me give you another one. All right, you tell me. 
What is my man trying to say here? Now, before we run the video, Dylan, I got to explain this to you. So after this video, all right, people are like, well, he's got a stuttering problem. Uh, okay. Like there's all these built in. I mean, Trump could save the world. And the most empathetic among us would rip his ass for being fat. <clears throat> that was the official answer. Well, at least he's riding the bike. Trump's sitting there eating a cheeseburger. Oh, okay. Gas prices were 179. The market was up. The borders were closed. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't. Uh, minority jobs way up. But hey, look, he tells a good story, old corn pop. Uncle sniffing Joe corn pop. He tells a good story. But if you don't agree, you're a xenophobe, a homophobe, transphobe. You must agree, or we'll write an article. <laughs> an article. All right, uh, let's hear from Corn Pop Joe here. Let's hear from Angelo Negri was from, you remember Ange? And a guy named Angelo Negri. He said, Joey, baby, grab my cheek. <laughs> and not a joke. A story. And, uh, and I thought that he was going to get shot. Uh, <laughs> true story. And Ange walks up to me and goes, Joey, eyes. baby, grabs my cheek. And I thought the Secret Service was going to blow his head off. I said, I swear to God, true story. And I thought he was going to get shot. <laughs> I'm serious. Joey, baby, what are you doing? And I thought the Secret Service was going to shoot him. I said, no, 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 he's good, he's good. It's a true story. Joey, baby, grabbed my cheek. I thought he was going to shoot him. You know, they're going, Joey. I said, Ange. I said, he's okay, he's a friend. It's a true story. Joey, baby, grab my cheek. I thought the Secret Service was going to shoot him. I said, Joey, grab my cheek. I thought the Secret Service was going to shoot him. I said, no. I said, he's okay. It's a true story. Then as Vice President, we figure you've done X number of trips. It adds up to 1,200,000 miles on Amtrak. 1,200,000 miles, not counting as Vice President. And he said, you travel 1,515,000 miles on Amtrak. Average 131 days a year, 257 miles a day. Joe, you travel over 2 million miles. Big deal. You've traveled 2,100,000 miles on Amtrak. 2,200,000 miles. You're looking at Mr. Amtrak here. I've traveled over, God's truth, I've traveled over 1,250,000 miles on Amtrak. I am the most railroad guy you're ever going to meet. 2,100,000 miles on Amtrak. Hear me now? Not a joke. And so they gave me a key to the engine because I could, I'm the only one I know of. I'm not supposed to say that, but I got it hidden. I'm telling you, hey, Dylan and Ryan and, and uh, Davey, I think we ought to do a morning Biden. We'll take a good chunk of a morning Biden. Two million, one thousand dollars. I didn't hear any stuttering there. But when necessary, remember, old Corn Pop Joe, he gets to stutter. Only when necessary. Only when you're being, hey, only when you need empathy. A nice old man fell off his bike. I bet you somebody said this. How has Putin not thrown up his hands and given up? 
Oh, real funny, Doc, that you're laughing at an old man. Hey, man, I'm sorry, but when you paint yourself as such a badass, when you wear your little aviators and you challenge people, hey, you're fat. I'll do push-ups right now. When you do all that and you're literally destroying our country because of, I guess, for your own gain or for some kind of plan, I don't know, somebody's got to make fun of you. Somebody has to. So I'll take whatever shots come my way. Uh, I'll take them. But somebody out there has to make fun of you because it is absolutely not real what's going on here. It can't be real. It has to be a script. SNL wouldn't buy this, what this clown does. They wouldn't. And you're not hearing it anywhere. I mean, you think you're going to hear it in the Indy Star, the New York Times, Gannett? Please. All of a sudden, they want empathy when they don't publish anything positive from the other side or anything negative from this side. Just stop with all of it. But hey, according to the Indy Star, if you don't agree, you're a transphobe, xenophobe, homophobe, transphobe, xenophobe, homophobe. Say it with me. Transform, xenophobe, homophobe. Oh, man, I'm going to get Lee Ross on here to talk about this. This is interesting. You know, a lot of people are and were up in arms about Leah Thomas. Um, she, he was the swimmer for uh, Penn, who became a, was transitioning to become a woman from being a man and literally went from like 355ths into 200 to first. And everybody tried to say, hey, look, you know, you don't become transgender to compete in sports. Boy, is that true. I, I, I'm with you. Now, I saw Leah Thomas' interview, and I agree with her 100%. I did. I agree with her 100%. You know, I'm able to see both sides because if they make sense. But I also think it is unfair. And I also think that women like my wife, who's going to join us in a little bit, uh, fought like crazy and faced a lot of different things so that women could be taken seriously as athletes. Pat Forty's a writer. Uh, for Sports Illustrated, Pat's a friend, and Pat's daughter, who's an Olympian, said, you know, it, it doesn't bother me. I'm for people living their best lives or something like that. And that's wonderful, and that's a, that's a side that's interesting. But women like my wife, women like, oh, I don't know, Coach Hutchins at Michigan, women all across the country didn't see it that way. What they saw it was, we want to be taken serious as athletes. We want the same opportunities. You want to live your best life, go ahead, that's great. I love the empathy of Ms. Forty, but that's not exactly in line with how folks that were at the core of trying to take and make women, or excuse me, take women's sports into the modern era with scholarships, with championships, with championships that were well-funded, with championships uh, that frankly, <clears throat> excuse me, were on the level of men, and, and they're still fighting for that, as we saw last year in the NCAA tournament two years ago. So they're trying to do that. So now all of a sudden, you have men that are becoming women. My thing is always this. Let me ask you, why do men that are becoming women get to participate with women and women that are becoming men get to participate with women? I talked to my wife about it. I think we already had this discussion on the show with Lee a little bit ago, but here's the thing. In Budapest, the world swimming governing body banned trans transgender athletes essentially from competing. 
It's called the New Gender Inclusive Policy. It states this. It only permits swimmers who transition before the age of 12 to compete in women's events. Now, when you say, first thing you say is, well, that encourages women to transition before 12. Here's their answer to it, James Pierce. This is not saying that women are encouraged to transition by the age of 12. It's what the scientists are saying. Let me say that again, you Democrats out there, you little libbies. It's what the scientists are saying. Remember science? Before we had pregnant men, remember that? Okay. It's what the scientists are saying. That if you transition after the start of puberty, you have an advantage, which is unfair. Oh, my God, are they actually using science demis? Are they? Oh, my God. It's not saying everyone should transition by age 12, Pierce goes on. It's ridiculous. Of course it's ridiculous. You can't transition by that age in most countries, and hopefully you won't be encouraged to. Basically, what they're saying is that it's not feasible for people to have transitioned to compete without having an advantage. Pierce confirms there are currently no transgender women competing in elite levels of swimming. The World Professional Association of Transgender Health located its recommended Minimum age for starting gender transition hormone treatment to 14. Man. I don't know. Can I buy a beer? Nope. Got to be 21. Can I buy a gun? Nope. Got to be 18. Serving the arm? Nope. Can I uh, cut my PP off and become a girl? Yep. I won't. 14. World's weird. World's weird. World's very odd. I support everyone, but that is very, very weird. Basically, 72% of people support this. And this isn't big news, really. Um, It's not. I mean, look, in the scope of things, it is less than that big. Like, my finger, don't, oh, I didn't make the okay sign. That's racist or something. I don't know. But it's that right there. I'm going to do it here so no one can, you know. It's that. It's, it'll affect nobody, a person. You know, I mean, so... Much ado about nothing is my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right, but that's the way I look at it. Um, Transgender people, good for you, man. I'm all for you. I am. Go get them. Always have been, always will be. You know what I mean? mean, It's just the way it is. Uh... All right. Then continue. Like, I got a former report, a 66-year-old man who's been donating blood his entire life, now rejected because he refuses to answer whether he's pregnant or not. So a former sports writer, instead of going, man, that's crazy, right? His answer is, so the guy doesn't just laugh, say no, and then says that's the stupidest question in history. Sure, you could do that, but that's not what sports writers do. If it's on the other side, there's a lot of weird, weird stuff going on. If somebody asked me if I was a pregnant man, I'd just say yes. Look at his belly. How could I not be? I mean, the fact that I have no ovaries, no womb, nothing like that, that doesn't matter. I mean, I I can be pregnant. Oh, man. It was a good story. It was a really good story. Matthew Fitzpatrick, former Northwestern golfer, uh, wins, wins the U.S. Open. And he did it. It was awesome. It wasn't kind of good. It was awesome. Like, it was great theater yesterday, sitting on my dupayage, watching that. In fact, I got everything done by about 2.30. About 2.30, everything got done. Uh, We went on a boat around 3 for an hour because I I missed some. But I got to tell you, 
watching the last with Zel Torres going down the stretch against Fitzpatrick was awesome. Fitzpatrick's a tough dude. And what I also like, he looked like a kid. Like he had braces, he had clear braces. Sack up, Fitzpatrick. Where are the old railroad tracks that those of us had to wear back in the day? That's what we used to have. Damn right we did. The old railroad tracks going across the... Right? No, it was good. It was great theater. And man, oh man, that course is nice. That course is cool. Too much was made of a little short par three. A couple guys bogey and everybody lost their mind. So what? But the truth of the matter is Matthew Fitzpatrick, I could see, not becoming Tiger Woods. There's never going to be another Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is ridiculous. Tiger Woods is off the charts. He's the greatest. He's not the greatest ever. You got to go with Jack. It's a major thing. You know what I'm saying? But in my world, Tiger Woods is must-see TV. No one's going to touch that. But I could see this Fitzpatrick kid becoming a star. Like, I don't, I don't know. Brooks Kepka looks like a pain in the ass. Uh, Scheffler, I could see being a star. Rory's Rory. If I were Rory, I'd keep being mouthy. If I were Rory, I would keep being mouthy about the LIV tour. We're going to get into the LIV tour next. But if I were Rory, I would say stuff. You know what I mean? I would get like, hey, man, I would become the face of the anti-LIV tour. Because that would gain him popularity across the golf world. When you talk to guys that are golfers, that are serious golfers, their first thing is that thing's ridiculous. I don't view it that way, but I get the sentiment. But let me go back to Matthew Fitzpatrick for a minute. He hit 17 of 18 greens. Now, I want you to do this. I want you to try to go to the mini putt-putt course, even not, not the ones with the, the fans. Go to the, you know, the putt-putt where it's, I don't know, Billy Packer used to run a national putt-putt championship and try to hit 17 of those 18 greens. You can't do it. It's damn near impossible. And all this guy did was hit it, hit it on the green, one putt, two putt, whatever, go to the next. That's U.S. Open golf. They call it ball striking in the world of golf. Well, that was great ball striking yesterday. And, and a word about my man, Mike Tirico, the best. Like, the best Tuesday night, big Tuesday, was Tirico, myself, Bart Fox, Scott Johnson, Allison Williams. The best. ESPN guys will tell you it's the best. And the reason it's the best is because Tirico made us all better. Tirico made everyone around him kind of sit up straight. It's like when Tom Brady walks into the room. Tom Brady walking into Tampa Bay made everyone sit up straight and get serious. That's what Tariq's did when I was starting out at ESPN. I think it was my second year, maybe my third. And uh, Tirico uh, came on board and we're like, oh man, Tirico, we got to act right. And it became the best broadcast they've ever had of college basketball on ESPN. Trico yesterday was fantastic. Whether it was the open, whether it was the cut-ins, or whether it was the post-game hosting, there's none better than Mikey T. Salute to my friend. I was texting him during the broadcast about when we play in golf, and he says he works too hard. But we will play golf. By the way, Trico had one of the greatest athletic moments ever. During COVID, he was on his phone with earplugs, earplugs, and he and I, to beat Scott Johnson and Bart Fox, he had a two-putt at Broadmoor Country Club here in India on the 18th hole from about 60 feet for us to win. He two-putted while he was listening in his ear to the rundown meeting, meaning what they were going to do from start to finish 
of the Indianapolis 500. That's what he was listening to. He was on the phone. Yeah, 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 I think we should do that. Awesome. Love MT. Love my leader, my captain, Mike Tirico. There is nobody, nobody, and I mean nobody better than my friend Mike Tirico. Uh, This could get interesting this week. You know, I'm all over this Deshaun Watson thing, right? Everybody, you know, oh, doggage, leave Deshaun Watson alone. Why? Why am I the one championing this? Why am I the only one saying this dirtbag shouldn't be playing football? Why is that? Why, 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 why? Shouldn't be. You can get mad at me all you want, but we kick guys out for one offense. Hell, I don't know what happened in the Trevor Bauer situation, but that was one. My man's got 24. This isn't going in a good direction. I've said it before. I've said it again. But now there are reports that the NFL soon will come out with a ruling against Deshaun Watson. Now, here's the deal with that. Yes, I get there are reports of that. There are also reports that Watson is going to get a, quote, significant suspension, which most feel could include a year. All right? Here's this. If he does get suspended for a year, think about this. It will be, and if he comes back week one of 2023, it will be 980 days in between NFL starts for him. Now, I think he should get a year suspension. The Washington Post is reporting that he should get a year suspension, but the Washington Post also reports, uh, take your pick. I mean... Let me me go this route. The Washington Post also neglects to report most things that are truly happening in this country. But look, word on the street is it might come down this week. Word on the street, it's going to be significant. But the problem is this. There may be more women. But the NFL and maybe, just maybe, the Cleveland Browns want it over with now. Just get it done. And the Cleveland Browns should be ashamed of themselves. I mean, the NFL should be ashamed of themselves. Don't say you stand with women. Don't act like you stand with the military. Don't act like you stand with anything that represents goodness in our country and and have this crap. Let a guy get paid the entire year. Let a guy go get a $230 million contract. And don't give me that crap innocent until proven guilty. Of course he's innocent in a court of law until proven guilty. This ain't a court of law. This is a court of public opinion. This is a court of calling out hypocrisy. Personally, I don't think Watson's that good. I've watched him for years against the Colts. He's a good player. He's good. It's good. Oh, man, he's a top five quarterback. Didn't have nothing around him. Okay, if you believe that, good for you. But $230 million guaranteed with zero. Oops, I did it again. No stipulations in terms of a suspension. You still get paid. Shame on you, Cleveland Browns. Shame on you. Last thing, Brittany Griner's still in jail. I know she has a hearing coming up, and it's still ridiculous. It is. I don't understand how people get so mad at me about that one either. That one's interesting to me. Every time I talk about Brittany Griner, the entire comment section, section is, well, she broke the law. I know she broke the law, but she broke the law four months ago with a little bit of vape. Look, I'm not soft on crime. Dog Dan, soft on crime dockets. No, I'm not. You crazy? But I don't know how she's still in jail. Honest to God. 
Uh, Dan, I'd rather be a liberal than a right-wing nut job who supports treason. Yeah, I don't support nothing, man. I ain't support. Uh, you know, you, I, look, if you ask me, gun to head, do you support treason? No. <laughs> I guess that's the answer for everybody. If you, like I said, the most empathetic of us, the ones with the most empathy, you support treason. You're a homophobe, xenophobe, transphobe. I'm not no phobe. I'm on the phone, but I ain't no folk. I just think it's funny that the president fell on his ass. I just think it's funny that the toughest guy in the world, our guy, Aviator Joe, Joey Corn Pops, Joey, continues to F it up. And I got to tell you, Jill, Jill, you got to step up, Jill. Jill, you got to come to the man's aid. Joe Biden is who I'm talking about. You're a doctor. Doctor, save thyself. All right, we come back. I ain't mad about it. Uh, I'm going to go to the YouTube chat, and I know people are mad about it, but hey, if you got a I ain't mad about it, let me know what you ain't mad about. My wife is going to join me because I find it, my wife is one of the, not pioneers, she's not, you're not 70, but she is one of the women that came up in an era where you couldn't play. She could not. She was in Toledo, Whitmer High School, and they moved to Michigan. Not be not so that she could play softball, but it didn't hurt. They didn't have softball in Toledo. They didn't have it. So I'm going to talk to her about that and see. Dan, why are you wearing your uh, Andrea's shirt? Are you kidding me? It's what we do. We're all Niners, baby. Tradition doesn't graduate. Eighth state final. Hey, keep it right here. I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about it. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, welcome to the YouTube chat. I uh, hope everybody's having a good time on there. I love Jody Shelton, Travis Fraser. Hell, Ed Rogers, you provide entertainment with your stupidity. Uh, Adam Pierce, AJ Jenkins says the world went stupid. Watson is being sued for money. That's what it's about. 26 women who want money. All have the same lawyer. Do a little research, Ben. Uh, Indy Spanglish is wild. She is in jail, but we don't get to make the laws in Russia. He's right about that. I remember when some kid was caned in Singapore for graffiti. Boy, I forgot about that. Uh, Kane. Remember that? He vandalized some cars, just a little American. Uh, yeah, AJ Jenkins, I ain't mad at you for it. Uh, it one lawyer recruited 26 women. That's probably why, AJ, I got to give you credit on the YouTube chat. You make some interesting points. You do. I, I'm sorry, you do. If, the, if what you're saying is true on the YouTube chat, you make interesting points. We'll see what happens. I'm an open-minded guy. You make, you make legitimate points and just immediately don't jump to, well, Donald Trump. Let's chat, baby. That's good, AJ Jenkins. Join my... Uh, my show at noon. I wanna I wanna hear more from you. No, seriously. When I, I'm not a leftist, rightist, I'm nothing. I just listen. And, and and if people just don't say, well, you know, Donald Trump did this, I, I don't care what Donald Trump did. He ain't the president. What's up, Jody? What's up, Ryan? Had a great Father's Day, Bill Martin. I hope you all did. People on the YouTube chat, they are my guys. They are my even if I disagree with them, I still like them. Because that's what we should do in this world. It's because you disagree doesn't mean you don't like them. I ain't mad about it, people. I ain't mad about the LIV tour petitioning, petitioning the 
World Golf Association to be included in the world rankings. And I'll tell you something else. I'm not mad at Greg Norman coming back at the PGA Tour for their hypocrisy. Like, look, we, we are so tied into our own stuff. We are. We're, 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 we're so into, like, I, like, if I believe it, you're an idiot. I, I wasn't brought up that way. I was brought up by the great Tom and Bobby Dawkins, teachers at a melting pot uh, school in Gary, Indiana. I was taught to think for yourself. Listen. Listen. All right? That's what I was taught, and I like listening. So when I heard about the LIV tour, I thought to myself, all right, interesting. Is it blood money? Let's talk about that. Greg Norman, who is running the LIV tour, says that the hypocrisy, listen to this now, of the PGA tour is, quote, deafening. Listen to this. Norman fired back. Guys like Bob Costas calling it blood money. Like, one thing I would like to see in this world, I like to see Bob Costas go the hell away. I've had enough of the smug little guy that, you know, whatever. All right, I digress. Uh, Norman said this in USA Today. I'm disappointed people go down that path about blood money, quite, quite honestly. If you look, this is interesting. If you want to look at it in a prism, then why does the PGA Tour have 23 sponsors doing 40 plus billion dollars worth of business with Saudi Arabia? Why is everyone okay for the sponsors? See, that's what I said. You want to get mad at those guys, but the oil you're driving your car in, the oil that's in your tires, where does it come from? Why is it okay for the sponsors? Will Jay Monahan, who's the president of the PGA, go to each and every one of those CEOs of the 23 companies that are investing into Saudi Arabia and suspend them and ban them? The hypocrisy in all this is so loud, it's deafening. I ain't mad about Greg Norman doing this. I ain't mad about this at all. Like, if you are going to, throw stones, then you might want to have your house in order. So Greg Norman obviously did a little research on this. And when it was time to speak, he doesn't make stupid points, doesn't just talk, doesn't say, yeah, but Trump. No. He also says this, we're not going anywhere. We want to do what's right for the fans. For the players, for our commercial business model, we're going to forge forward. And there's been a lot of obstacles, no question about it. There's been a lot of obstacles. The PGA Tour is thrown in our path, but you know what? We're working around it because golf is a force for good. Now, that's disingenuous. Look, I'm all for golf being a force for good or whatever you want to say, but let's be honest. This is business. I don't think the Saudis woke up one day, started throwing around heavy bread and saying, hey, look, this is a force for good. They started throwing around heavy bread saying, let's see if we can make some heavier bread doing this, get our name out there, maybe, maybe wash away some stain. That's why they're doing this. I mean, let's be honest. So you lose me a little bit there. Norman also uh, 
he, he said uh, that he wants to receive um, world official world ranking points. What that means is it basically further incentivizes uh, PGA Tour players to come over. What it means is if you win an LIV tour, you're going to be eligible for the Ryder Cup. You're going to be eligible for things like being number one in the world. Now, if you come over to the LIV tour, you basically are playing on that tour unless, as of right now, you have exemptions like Mickelson did into the majors. We'll see what happens, but I got to tell you, I ain't mad at Greg Norman. I'm never mad when somebody comes back at hypocrisy. I'm never mad when somebody comes back and says, this is why we're doing this. I get mad when somebody says, if you don't go along with me, then you are some type of terrible thing. Racist, homophobic, you know what I'm saying. I don't like it. But I ain't mad about Norman doing this. I'll tell you something else I ain't mad about. I'm not mad about people shutting the living hell up about Steph Curry. I've had enough. Well, Steph Curry isn't this. Steph Curry isn't that. Look, there are a few constant strains through this show. And one of them is that Steph Curry is the best basketball player on the planet. Argue with me all you want. I want Giannis. Good, you take Giannis. I'll take Steph Curry. So the argument in the little whacked out world that we live in against Steph Curry was, well, you know, Steph Curry hasn't been the finals MVP. Okay. A lot of good players in the finals. Some players have their own, like, career, like Iguodala, right? So now, let me ask you a question. What are you going to argue about with Steph Curry negatively? And I say negatively because that was the rap. Oh, man, Steph Curry never won a finals MVP like MJ, like West. I don't know about West. Oh, yeah, West. Uh, <laughs> like LeBron. So he's not that good until he wins a finals. What? Steph Curry won a finals MVP. So here's the next conversation. Are you ready? And you ain't going to like it. And you're going to say no. And you're going to say not a chance. And I'm going to agree with you. But the next conversation is, can he get to seven? Michael Jordan got six, right? It's been this conversation for LeBron. But for now, Steph Curry, can he get the six? Let's go six, not seven. I'm always trying to one-up. Can he get to six? Can he get to Michael? That's going to be interesting because, frankly, when you look at Steph Curry's numbers, they're great. I mean, he's going to have great numbers. And all of a sudden, like, I think numbers-wise, let's not even talk about because Wilt Chamberlain has numbers that you would not believe. Averaged 50 and 25 in a year, scored 100 points in a game. You know what I'm saying. And then got blanked off at the media for saying he doesn't pass. So what did he do? He went out and led the league in assists. Numbers, it is Wilt and Wilt alone. But I'm just telling you, you tell me. What can you say negative about Steph Curry? Great family man. Great kids. Has a lot of fun playing basketball, looks like every little kid. Just look at his face right there. He's not six foot nine, 250, he's 6'3", works at his craft as hard or harder than anybody, has changed the game. I mean, I don't know what to tell you guys, but to me, uh, Steph Curry, again, I think he is, I don't know, 
Maybe the greatest ever? No, he's not. Michael Jordan and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar are the greatest ever to me. But what are people going to say? Don't have the answer. All right, I'm not mad at Kenny Atkinson turning down Michael Jordan slash the Charlotte Hornets. Let me go through this for a second. People say, well, you know, there's only 30 of these jobs. Right. People say, oh, 32, whatever there is, I don't know. But people say, well, you know, when you got a chance to take a job, you better take it. You're right. But let me give you a guy, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr had, like, it was laid out for him to go to the New York Knicks. Phil Jackson, his old coach, was the coach. Or was a GM. It's New York, baby. Actually, if you really want to know, name me one basketball media star out of New York in the last 50 years. I'll wait. Tell me Patrick Ewing was a media star? I'd argue Paul George got more national commercials in Indiana than Patrick Ewing. You tell me, John Starks, Derek Harper, I'll listen. Harvey Mason or whatever his name was, Anthony Mason, no. So it was, it was put right there for Steve Kirk. He said, no, I'm going to Golden State. Guess what? Hall of Fame. So Kenny Atkinson, and this is very embarrassing for Michael Jordan because ever since, ever since the, what's that, uh, Last Dance came out, ever since, uh, Michael Jordan is the guy. He's the only guy allowed to be a jackass because, well, Michael has a chip on his shoulder. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons I'm the biggest jackass at different times is because I live with a chip on my shoulder. Told by teachers I couldn't freaking, uh, I will never play college basketball. One leg small than the other. Had to be in an incubator at birth. Had to sit out a year of high school with a disease. We all got chips on our shoulders, but Michael Jordan's the one guy that it's okay. It's okay that he doesn't pay gambling debts. It's okay that he does whatever. And I support it. I'm not going to lie to you. I totally support it. You're right. Michael Jordan is that guy. And I'm good with it. So now a guy takes an inside look at Michael Jordan's operation. And he says, no, I'm good. I'm good as an assistant coach. Think about that. Think about the ego that had to be destroyed with Michael Jordan. It's like when Butler National told me he couldn't be a member because he didn't pay his freaking uh, gambling debts. So back to the drawing board. If I'm Kenny Atkinson, I really want to have LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges as my stars. That's a team. You know what that is? That's good enough to get you fired. Now you all can say, whoa, LaMelo Ball is great. Good for you. If you think LaMelo Ball is great, then God bless you. I'm very happy. I'm very excited for you. But I don't want coaching. Miles Bridges? Only Gottlieb and Seth Greenberg understand my he got no game comment. And we're seven years in. He can score some points. He can get some balls and buckets. So, Kenny, this is a bigger story than it's going to be made out to be. It is. It's a bigger story. Because when you are an assistant and a white assistant and you get the chance at an NBA head coaching job in this environment, and you say no, you know how jacked up the Hornets must be? Wow. Which means you know how jacked up Michael Jordan must be running the Hornets? There will be, within five years, a smart NBA team that hires me. I don't even apply. There will be a smart one, though. Uh, I ain't mad at the hitting coach of the freaking uh, – look. The hitting coach of the Astros got the boot. And I ain't mad about it. And I'll tell you why. 
was a long-time assistant. I was a long-time assistant to Bob Knight. And one of the rules is, hey, look, I'll take care of the officials. And he was right, right? He was supposed to take care of the officials. Like, if I got a technical as the assistant coach, I would have been ab. So I would have been fired the next day. And probably in the world of Bob Knight, there would have been articles about what a bad guy I am. Because that's what we, you know, I, I did not. I never participated. That's what he did. He always put out articles on somebody, you're a bad guy. You're a bad guy. Uh, you, you know, so I would have been fired. Little fat Timmy Knight would have put out that I'm a bad guy and away we would have gone. That's the world. But in baseball, you know, in, in perfect, I want to make sure I have all this right. In baseball, um, you got a lot of games. So occasionally the hitting coach maybe gets fired. Alex Cintron. Alex Cintron was a manager. Alex Cintron said, screw it. I don't like your balls and strikes. So this is, I don't know. But you know what? I like him. Why do I like him? Because this guy, not only, not only, that, correct me if I'm wrong, I may have the wrong guy, but I think I'm right about this. This dude got a 20-game suspension for his role in the cheating. Yeah. And he's back and better than ever, baby. Yeah, he is. He is back and better than ever. He got the boot last night. And I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about it even a little bit. But I'm telling you, every time I see this, I laugh. So Alex Cintron got the boot. He didn't like the balls and strikes. And away we go. Love it. As a longtime assistant, salute. You care. Let's see what else I ain't mad about. Oh, man, Father's Day at my house. Sit back, relax, ladies and gentlemen. Let me ask you a question. How was Father's Day at your house? I hope it was awesome. I hope it was tremendous. I hope it was glorious. The night before Father's Day, we had some friends over. High school buddy of mine, Kevin Page, a couple guys I work with at Emmis. And next thing you know, we're solving all the world's problems. We're having beers. We're laughing. I'm cooking up burgers. Their wives are there. We have a great time. Great time. Father's Day comes. My wife gets up at 5. She goes downtown Indy. And she runs in the She Power Half Marathon 5K in downtown Indy. She tells me she'll be done around 9. So I get my fat you-know-what up on Father's Day. I drive down to Indy, and I'm right there at the start-finish line. And here's the secret. God, I hate this. The She Power, watching these women, I cried. I'm looking right in the camera. I wept. I did. I get teary-eyed. Like, the energy is so great. There's people standing at the finish line cheering. It's awesome. It is. It's absolutely awesome. And I get tears in my eyes. I do. My wife's crossing the finish line, and I'm, I'm holding a camera, and I get tears in my eyes, and I tell her it's allergies. No, I get overpowered by the goodness of people sometimes. And at the finish line of the sheep, second time she's ran it, I don't think they had it the last couple of years, but second time she's ran it, second time I've been there, second time I start crying. 
because these women are so determined and it's so great and there's such energy and there's so much love around. And you guys know me. I'm not really that guy, but I am deep down. I'm telling you. I don't know. I'm so proud of my wife. And then we go home. I'm exhausted because, you know, we stayed up late. I got a bad stomach because, you know, once we had a couple beers, I got into the candy. And we're hanging out. And it was lovely. And then my wife says, hey, I'm uh, going to make breakfast. And then it was the greatest breakfast ever. So I said, if you're making breakfast, I'm getting my triathlon in. Right over here is the world's oldest elliptical. I got two miles in. Right over there is a Peloton. I went on a 20-mile or 20-minute bike ride. Then I jumped in the pool, small pool about this big. It's seven strokes for me. And I did 20 laps. I did my triathlon. Then I got done. I came in, greatest breakfast ever. Unbelievable. And then, I don't even know what I did. I think I sat my fat, you know what, down. Lee came in. She wanted to take a nap. I started watching golf, took a nap. We got up. We went out on the water. My daughter came home, jumped on me, gave me a big hug. Yeah, got done. We put ribs in. By the way, if you want great ribs, two-for-one pack at Kroger. There's nothing better. I say it all the time. I ate some ribs, watched the end of the golf. I was in bed by 9. Turn on Peaky Blinders. It was a great Father's Day. I mad, every day should be that day for me. I ain't mad about Father's Day. I ain't mad about it at all. Good for me. All right. I uh, hope you had the same. My man, Indy Spanglish. Man, I saw that picture with your daughters. Freaking awesome. Seriously. Freaking awesome. That's what it's about. Hey, divorced dads, man, it's tough. It is. It's tough. My stepson sent me a nice note. My stepdaughter, happy Father's Day. Hell, this is how my life, I know I'm a bad guy, but Lee's ex-husband and I, happy Father's Day. He sent me a nice text in the morning. I sent him a nice text in the, uh, right after, saying, man, you guys raised great kids. My ex-wife texts me, how lucky my kids are to have me as a father. That's a hell of a Father's Day. I woke up to a message from my son telling me all these great things. That's a Father's Day. I got goosebumps. I do. I got goosebumps. Yeah. So I'll take being called a bad guy by everyone. I'll take it for that day once a year. That's enough. I sometimes get it twice, usually my birthday, too. It's good to be double dizzle. Uh, I ain't mad about people ripping Joe Biden. I ain't mad. Show the video, will you? I can't. I, hey. Why are we mad? He's a nice man. Really? Nice man? Okay. Did anybody ever pay attention to what Biden's actually said during the course of his career? Anybody ever? Like, I don't know. Anybody ever paid attention? Um, ever? Like, on what this guy has said about African-American people? Anybody ever? I mean, ever paid attention to anything other than he's on your side politically? I don't know. Uh, Seems to me, if you've paid attention 
and not, not just blindly followed, uh, I think, I don't know, I think you might have a little different opinion. But I do understand that in our world, we just simply say, hey, um, all right, great guy, great man, nice older man. No. That ain't how it works. Normally, so I got no problem with people ripping by. I got no problem. Usually I'd have a problem. Usually I'd say, hey, don't make fun of an old man. Down goes Corn Pop Joe. But I got no problem with it. Send me more. Because it doesn't make you, like the indie star wants to tell you, a homophobe, a xenophobe, a blah, 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 phobe, whatever a phobe. Uh, it doesn't. Not even a little bit. And I'll listen. I'll listen. But when you all of a sudden, out of the blue, just say, Donald Trump! I thought this guy was stronger physically. All I see him doing is falling down and can't speak. And it isn't because of a stutter. I, 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 you know, I, I don't get it. But hey, uh, what are you going to do? So I ain't mad about it. Tell you what else I ain't mad about. I love this. So the other day, I sent out a tweet. And I sent out a tweet that basically said this. It said, hey, look, the Pacers, every year, love them some Reggie Miller. Like, there's a writer. She's like the 12-string writer at the Indy Star. And she writes this article about this guy, Donnie Walsh, who's a you know, 3,000-year general manager who's never won an NBA title, but he's been in the league 3,000, so he's probably pretty good, right? Probably pretty good. Every year, Donnie Walsh picked uh, Reggie Miller over Steve Alford. I finally get tired of it. I get tired of it. I'm like, hey, great. We hear it all the time, but truth of the matter is, Reggie Miller didn't want a thing in Indiana. Reggie Miller, great player. Don't get me wrong. Reggie Miller... Raise the level of Indiana Pacer basket. I get all that. The Hall of Famer is great. Kick my ass in college. But I love the fact that this little tweet sent from my ass sitting outside just hanging around literally is almost at a million views. I, I tell my friends all the time, like, look, uh, give me something you want tweeted that I will actually believe it and let's see how many we can get out of it. I think we almost hit a million now. I got guys, Donnie Walsh's daughter's mad, boyfriends are mad, uh, Dan, you effing nincon effing poop. That was a guy, Kevin Haggard, who is uh, writing that while standing next to his two children. That little tweet has exposed more jackassery maybe than anything I've ever done. It wasn't intentional. I didn't intentionally, but I just get tired of the world's most jackass newspaper telling us how we're supposed to live. Interesting. Pacers are praised for picking Reggie Miller over Steve Alford in 1987, which they are. Yet, the Pacers have not won a single thing in the subsequent 35 years, which they haven't. Would they have won anything with Alford? Who knows? But what we do know is nothing was won with Miller. And I mean, that's got folks crazy. I mean to tell you, that's got media guys, honest to God, unfollowing me. (laughs) 
Keep them coming. Retweet the tweet. Get there with your little girl and your little boy and start F-bombing. Hey, the lovely Lee Ross, I got to get her opinion. Look, there are a lot of guests we can have, but my wife, legendary player, uh, was on alternate for the first Olympic women's softball team. Legendary coach, all-time winning as coach at Bowling Green, all-time winning as coach at Syracuse. But what makes her a legendary coach is that all of her players, like every day, her players are texting her. These beautiful, strong, tough women are texting her about an impact that she's had in her in their lives. Now, that's what I like. So now we have a bill, not a bill, but a ruling on transgender women can't compete until after, what, they're 12 years old, 13 years old. If they, if they transition after they're 12, they're not allowed to compete internationally in swimming. I want to get Lee's take on that because other women, swimmers, have said, well, you know, everybody should live their best life. Well, that's not, and that's a great sentiment, but the truth of the matter is that's not exactly how the pioneers set this up. That's not exactly how the pioneers of women's sports wanted it. They wanted women to be considered athletes, not go live your best life, go compete like hell. And I'm curious to see what my wife, who, by the way, is in my house, but I don't see her yet, uh, has to say about it. All right, we'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, welcome. You know who this is. This is the lovely Lee Ross Dockage, as we call her on the big show, wearing her medal. Look at the size. It's as big as my head, I think. <laughs> it really is. What's that medal for? That's the half marathon that I ran yesterday. But the, the beautiful thing about it is it's the She Power Half Marathon. It's in Indianapolis. I think they do them all over the country, but it's women only. So it's kind of nice. You're out there running with all the Wait. women suffering. With the, Wait. I know. I thought women always had to compete against men. I thought this is not what we're supposed to do as women. Aren't we supposed to be men these days? Yeah, I do not want to run in a marathon with men. I will, but it's so much more enjoyable just to be around other women. I mean, we're all about the same. It's, I don't know. There's something about it. You were there. There's something about the energy and the, um, it was like positive experience. Right. I I just think, I don't know. We wanted women, just women, but that's what I, I enjoy doing it because I feel like it's a lot of women, like we all understand each other and how hard it is to run a half marathon. So, you know, as you're running it, you're not really, you're trying to be competitive, but it's more about just be enjoying the experience. Yeah. Which really a lot of people don't really enjoy. She (laughs) went immediately to her time and her place in the marathon. So what you just read was total crap. But that's part of it. That's the after I care. During, I don't care. You, We've talked to, now this is my wife, and I've told you before, my wife, if you're just joining us as a legend, alternate on the 1992, was that the first women, 96 96 women's 
uh, soccer, (laughs) softball team, uh, legendary coach, all-time winning as coach at Bowling Green, all-time winning as coach at Syracuse, first-team All-American, took her high school college team, excuse me, to the uh, College World Series, high school state champion, every sport. This is a woman at the forefront of, let me, let me, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you were at the forefront of women not being an exhibition sport, but a competitive, let's go, let's win championships kind of a sport. I think that my generation of women were the first ones that actually kind of felt the the response from all the pioneer women, you know, so all the women that didn't have a chance to play in college, but were good athletes and wanted to play and basically would get their own leagues together, their own teams together to play, didn't have any funding, didn't have anything, fought that fight for me. And I didn't realize that till I grew up, I think. But now looking back, I think my age group, we were the first ones to really benefit from that. You know, I got to go to college and get some scholarship. It wasn't much scholarship, but it was scholarship. So, you know, the women before me who are still involved in the game, who are like Carol Hutchins, my coach, Cheryl Sprangle from Toledo, um, Chris Hubbard, my high school coach, you know, and it's all these women that I've known for my entire life as an athlete that they really put, like they fought so hard because they wanted the equal opportunity to play. They just want to be able to play. And not to play against men, but just to play and have an opportunity to play. So let me go to the ruling that we just had. Basically, the Swimming Federation has said, look, uh, if you transition to a man when you're 13 years old or, or older, then you can't play against women. If you do it earlier, science says that you haven't started puberty, that it's okay. You can compete. What do you think about that ruling? Um, I, honestly, we're not even able to have a real conversation about this because without being considered transphobic, I was a tomboy. I wanted to play football in fourth grade. I was 10 years old. I I played football at 10 years old with all of my friends. We were all the same. I didn't necessarily, I didn't identify as girl, boy. I was Lee. I was a girl. I knew I was a girl, but it's like, we've made everything so sexual that kids at a young age have to decide late, like later on in life, what do I, what am I going to be? I'm going to be a man that likes women. I'm going to be a woman that likes women. Like they have to do all this. So all of that part is kind of compounding this issue. It's making it harder, but you're not allowed to ask these questions. How many children does this truly affect? That's what I said earlier. How many people truly at the, like we're making this. So it's the worst issue in the world. Do I agree that a 12 year old, doesn't have, yeah, I agree. Like once, when I got to the age, I knew I couldn't compete with boys anymore. I knew that as a, as an athlete, you know, your competition. Um, so I knew once they got to be about 12, um, I didn't, you know, I couldn't really play with them. And we had rules in place so that girls, like at that point I played baseball until, uh, sixth grade, I think it was. And then the rule was seventh grade girls had to go play softball. It was just the rule. So that, you know, what happened then girls started making fast pitch softball so that, you know, we started playing that instead, but I get that part, but I don't understand. And I, we're not even allowed to have a whole conversation about, well, how many children is this really affecting? And is this really something like later on, it's going to be that big of a deal? I don't know. I, you know, as women, we had to fight for our own right to play as women. 
So maybe it's, it's a new, it's a new fight for transgender kids. Well, maybe they have to fight for their own. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't think there's a clear answer. I want to get into something. And I really, as you know, I have a ton of respect for Pat Forty and his daughter's a great Olympian. And she made a comment that I support, actually totally support. But there, again, if you're able to have a conversation, right? Right. Which this is why you and I both love the show, because we can have a conversation right. and then we catch the blowback and we go. But she said, look, about Leah Thomas, the swimmer. She goes, look, I'm all for people celebrating their own lives. So I would rather compete against somebody that may beat me as long as they're living their best life. And that's a great comment. And I applaud Pat and his wife for raising a daughter that feels that way. However, let's have a conversation about that particular kind. Women fight to not be an exhibition. Women fight, yes, live your best life, but we see it in NCAA basketball tournament last year. Hey, women aren't treated the same as men. There's still a fight, and the fight isn't to just live your best life. The fight is, in my world, to be taken serious as athletes and have our sport grow, not as living our best lives, but as athletes and competitors and tough-ass softball players or volleyball yeah. players. Does that make sense? Am I, am I, am I, I don't want to... No, I, I think that, that girls that are competing now are too far away from the struggle that it actually took to get them that opportunity. They're too far away from it to feel like, because my first reaction is, but wait a minute, if you're going to let men who, who are women now, but still are built like men and they're strong like men, if you're going to let them now compete, we're going to lose all everything we fought for. We're going to lose it. And I don't think the younger girls understand that younger women understand that this is going to change the opportunities for your daughters. Now your daughters are now going to have to fight a different fight. Now they got to fight again to have a separate, sure. you know, a separate yeah. whatever yeah. league or separate, you know, opportunities. Yeah. But I, I don't think they understand that. And again, we're making this such a big deal. And I don't know how many people that it really affects. I, I just feel like there are more people, more young women that are going to lose opportunity than are going to gain. Exactly. Why you and I have talked about this. I actually said, I said this many, but I've noticed I went with that circle. So I, I, I got rid of it and I, I went like that, man. <laughs> right. Cause we all know, boy, if you do that, you get banned from Wrigley field. Um, <laughs> um, when you talk about uh, like opportunity, here's something that I think you and I talked about this last time you were on. It's been a while. And I look at you, I just want to kiss you by the way, but that's just, my wife. Nobody wants the old people kiss. I always <laughs> that's, say that. That's our motto. Nobody. No one wants the old people kiss. Oh. I just went Joan Namath on you right there with Susie <laughs> Culver. But when when you do look at, at at opportunity, okay, and you say, all right, women are being affected by this. Why are women that are transitioning to being men and men that are transitioning to be women both compete against women? That's, Yeah. I always think about when we go back to the pioneers, the Carol Hutchins that I, and I don't know what they think or anything with it, but I think they fought so hard for this. Now everyone just gets to, but you know, what they, doesn't like, common sense say if I'm, if we're going to let Leah Thomas, a man transition yeah. to a woman, then a woman transition to a man should go play baseball. Gotta, not softball. Got to play with the men. That's what I agree with that. But I feel like women's sports is just, it's almost like, People feel they can just push it aside. Well, let's right. throw them in that group. How much does that blank you up? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So all the fight that those women who had no opportunity to play 
years and years ago. And, and, and now like, I mean, the, the, the path that they had to go through so that I had that opportunity and now it might just be thrown away from my daughter, my daughter's daughter, you know, it's, it's very frustrating. When you talk about the fight, correct me if I'm wrong. I said this earlier, but as you all know on this show, I'm an ish guy. So I get them right. But if I say them forcefully enough, you believe them. But didn't you even this isn't like this isn't 1930. Yeah. But when you were coming up, didn't Whitmer not have softball? Yeah. So my high school. A big high school. Right. Like a major public school in the state of Ohio, city of Toledo. Yeah, it took a while. So I had to play seventh grade, slow pitch softball, eighth grade, slow pitch softball. And then my parents moved to Michigan and Michigan had fast pitch softball. But Michigan so was state by state. They didn't yet. Yeah. So I then started learning how to play that sport. And I think it was my freshman year, the year before my freshman year. Um, so like the summer before my freshman year, we started playing fast pitch softball. So and really it wasn't we didn't take to the streets because I had to play slow pitch softball. It was like, it is what it is. It was the rule. I had to go. Do you, you know, think that was wrong? Do you think you should have taken this? Um, should, should young women have, and their parents have protested? I think it? now I, I feel like now, but I feel like back then I played so many sports that I, you know, I played basketball and it was fine. You know, I played, I played uh, track. I ran track and, you know, I did everything else until I got to play fast pitch softball. I didn't even really know it. It was a thing though. Till I moved. You're to just Michigan. playing. I was just playing just to play sports. When you were a little girl and you're riding your bike and the boys are playing football and the coach says, Hey Lee, you want to try it for football? And your mother said no, but yes. And then you tucked your ponytail under your head under your, and became the best player. Yeah. How, looking at what's happening now. And then you yeah. played basketball and you went down the street with Joey bag of donuts and shot hoops every day. Every day. And every, if they were playing basketball, they, Hey, can Lee play? Yes. If you're playing football in the side yard, Donnie, your yeah. brother, hey, Lee, get out of here. We're playing football. Yeah. Right. Do you think in the modern era, a teacher would have called you in? That's the part that scares me. Right. Like looking back, I played, all of my friends were boys. I had girlfriends too, but all my friends were boys. We played every sport in the side yard. I was always the extra guy. I was just the extra guy, you know, but I was always smaller. Um, got to play football, but I remember I used to ride my bike every single day when football practice was going on. Cause all my friends were playing football, but cheerleaders would always be practicing right down the street. And so I'd ride by and I remember Mrs. Remy was her name. And she came, she said, Lee, come here. Don't you want to play? Don't you want to be a cheerleader? Like your friends are. And I said, no, like, I, I didn't know the first thing about that. I don't even know. No, uh, uh-uh, I, no, I'm good. You know, it was like that. I'm just yeah. going to ride my bike until yeah. my friends are done. And I think actually the reason I got to play football was because my grandfather who played football, my grandfather told my mom, she's looked, she's just like every, you know, she's just like the boys right now. I was 10 years old. I mean, she's faster than them. She's whatever. Just let her play. And so she did, but the people in the stands were horrible to my parents, like the stuff they would say about me. Cause I was a girl. What, out like there. why? Uh, they, they knew you were a girl, right? Cause you yeah, had not in my what? team, but like when we would play other teams and I would, you know, you were good. Beat their little. You were like, a bad ass. Ha- you were yeah. a bad mother. Well, I was fast, and back yeah. then we were all even. At ten years old, we were all nothing had happened yet. Nobody grew except for Donnie Ross was always bigger. <laughs> 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 so they would say, "Oh, she should be in the kitchen baking cookies," and and of course, as you're kicking their kids' ass. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know what? I'll go bake cookies to celebrate my win. 
<laughs> nice. Right? But that's but but that's part of like when you look at it now, I would hate we had a we had a Jennifer Wellman in our neighborhood. She hey Jennifer, you playing? Yeah. Hey Jennifer, you're the pitcher. Jennifer, hey, uh, you know, Jennifer, you're the quarterback. I mean, Jennifer Wellman was good. But I don't think like I don't think anybody how would you have felt if a teacher would have called you in and said, Hey Lee, look, he might be a boy. Yeah, right. I that, I told yeah, I do. I, I think that would have that wasn't even anything that would have crossed my mind. Like if a teacher did could you have been in. influenced? Um well, I think when you were young, ten you, years you, old, you listen. You listen. Like if there's a teacher that you like, and maybe you think, "Wow, they're pretty," you know, because you always idolize older, you know, yeah, teachers, yeah, certain yeah. teachers and stuff. Maybe, yeah. maybe. But I think that that's kind of the thing. When kids are out being kids, things are better, right? Yes. When parents or adults kind of get mixed in, they they kind of screw things up. Think about even just sports. When you're out in the side yard playing, the kids make the rules. If you don't agree with it, you might have a little spat and then you figure it out and then something, you know, you just keep playing because you want to play because you're out there. But it's when the adults get in there and they try to fix it for you. And instead of letting them just be children, who cares about, well, you're not acting like a regular girl. Maybe you're a boy inside, you know, like that's not a place for an adult. I feel like I don't feel like that's a place for a teacher and teachers don't want to do it. The sane ones don't want to do that. Right. You've heard my daughter I and mean, you know, my mother, the other, I don't want to, my mother taught for 50 years. How, how, when you were first coaching, I, you know, and you're only 22 years old, but you were coaching back in, you know, in the eighties, but you're only 22. No coaching in the eighties. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The nineties, the nineties, the nineties. I mess up, <laughs> but you're only 22, but yeah, you were coaching yeah, in the nineties. Yeah. When you late look nineties. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you look at the difference now between what softball was when you were taking the rockets in the eighties, yeah. late eighties mm -hmm. to the college world series to when you start a coach in a bowling green, you're only been out of Syracuse for five years. Yeah. What's what's the what's the biggest improvement that you've seen? Let's go that route first. Well, I do think it's the caliber of play is phenomenal. The good teams just keep getting better. Yeah. Because there are athletes like they the the girls are training at a younger age and they're they're just stronger. They're not only just playing, but they're lifting and what about the, the facilities? Facilities are sick. But I do think that comes that's part of growing and and you know it's like a catch-22 so the more popular a sport gets and the more tv time and the more money that's put into it the more facilities you know it's just going to obviously grow the sport it's going to be way better so i mean it's it's fantastic to watch right now it's but, it's fun but, but that's the part that the 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 icons of the game were fighting for exactly this is what they fought for this is what and you know you don't you, you want to see it continue on an uptick. Now, again, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think there's so many yeah. transgender people that this is going to have a negative right. impact. I think it's, but I do think that, I, I think that anything that negatively impacts it, because let's be honest, women's volleyball always had a stigma to it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the good things that's come out of all this is there really isn't a stigma to it. No. Yeah. It's just it's, women it's just playing, women out, women out there playing. And frankly, 
people enjoy the living hell out of it because it's fun to watch. And and I actually don't even know if the original pioneers who fought for this had an idea that it would get to this point. I know the growing pains to get to this point sometimes weren't, they wanted to play the game. They wanted to be able to, like, for women to be able to play the game and have the same. And then it started turning into money. And with money comes more money, more problems. Yeah, you right? know. <laughs> so like all of that, I mean, it's even gotten probably bigger than they thought it would ever get. Yeah, it's just it's it's just fascinating. And and uh, wait, by side note, what do you think of Joe Biden falling off the bike? Was Putin what? nervous after that? Did Putin? I. Why are we on a bike and pandering to people? What What are we doing? Like, what What are you doing? On Exercise. A bike? I know. Okay, we'll get on Peloton. Stay in your house and do it. I mean, I just why does why, why does Joe Biden have to stay? I I said earlier, like, what's Jill doing? Don't you think there's a age though where you're like no. You're going to, if you're going to get on a bike, how old is 78? 81. 81? I think so. I don't know how old, but I'm saying there's a time. Are people wrong for making fun of him? It's president. I, initially, I felt horrible when yeah. I saw it because I don't like yeah. to see old people get hurt. That's my thing. Yeah. I don't like to see yeah. old people get hurt yeah. at all. I don't want to. Yeah. So, and I feel like it's just to get a moment of look at how capable our president is he can it, it was sad how about how about obama's comment and never underestimate the ability of joe biden to f things up he, he nobody talks about that though, he, do they? he just effed up a bike ride <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry let's get back to let's get back to this in in your world of hold that up a second in yeah, your world a reminder right. do you think she power half. It wasn't a 5k, ladies and gentlemen. The she half. I love yeah. Yeah. All right. Seriously. So it <laughs> it's so or my head is so small. Both. But in your world, um, how many women do you think were out there enjoying the fact that it was just women? I, I think that's why a lot of women I do too. And, and just even, women. Even it's so it, it's kind of cool, like. When I went to go pick the race packet up, I'm in the, uh, in the elevator with the lady at the hotel and she's going to run it too. And we're just chatting. And it's like, I know um, what she's nervous about. I, I know what I'm nervous about. But if it was like a guy in there that was running, we wouldn't, I wouldn't have the same connection. Yeah, it, it's but a connection. It's like. I think my point is that it's not like all women want to compete against men. No, not like you're always trying to prove yourself right. against men. That's the wrong way to look at this. Women doing what you guys did both as a player and a coach and now you know with your big ass little yeah. <laughs> thing here uh that's the beauty of sport it isn't to prove yourself against men it's to prove yourself to yourself damn near well don't you think that men in a locker room there's a brotherhood right it's a it's yes. a, on the court or on the field it's like a brotherhood and you're all I think that women want to feel a sisterhood. And I know in our world, there's not many opportunities for women to kind of feel close to other women, unless you're on a team, Yes. but like a regular woman who, you know, is, is working every day and you might have friends and stuff, but just to kind of go through something that is really tough. A half marathon is really, it's, it's, you know how the tougher something is, mm -hmm. the closer you feel to that person next yes, to you, they're, right? They're, they've gone through it. Yeah. But I, I don't feel that if I'm running in a race where it's men and women, I don't feel that connection. I'm just kind of like, we're all just a bunch of people out here just trying to run 13 miles. But 
you know, the, the girl that I was talking to yeah. after the race, I, there was somebody like there's girls that you're running next to the whole time and you're cheering for them to finish. And she's cheering for me, but we're still trying to, we're like passing each other, not passing each other, you know? And then at the end, it's kind of like, congratulations. Cause there's just this connection that you make. And I think women don't have that opportunity a lot. You know, we're men have, you, you think about military or army or wars or like throughout the course of history, right. Men have always been able to build that bond, that brotherhood. And I think it's kind of nice to have a women's only like a sisterhood. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said on the show earlier, I didn't tell you this yesterday. I acted like I had allergies, but I started crying when you were passing what running the, I did. the second time. <laughs> I, I did. saw a little tear. I did. No, you did. It is emotional. It's unbelievable. It? It's weird. Yeah. I know. It, I I feel like if people don't even want to run the race, just go to the finish line. Oh, I or swear go to God. Along, along the race path. If it comes across your house, like our race went past this little neighborhood and all the neighbors were out. And they have water, you know, ask if you want to get squirted down or if they've got treats, they've got gator, you know, they just were out there enjoying it because there's a vibe. There's just a great feeling. Right. Yeah. Right. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's couldn't help no, it's, just, it's you know, if we turn this camera off, you know. <laughs> How many times a day do I say ew? You, you say a lot. <laughs> you do. There's a lot of ew. ew. And then what was the other one? I don't know. But anyway, I, you look, when, uh, when I saw the whole deal on swimming, passing this transgender thing, I, I think it's important to talk to intelligent women. I think it's important to get their perspective. I don't think it's, a, you know, it's important to get everybody's perspective. So I thank you for your time today. I know that you got to understand something about my wife. She wakes up and it is literally boom. <laughs> and she wears herself out. And by nine o'clock, we're either having a glass of wine or she's sleeping. Right? Yep. Pretty much a day. So hard. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. I'm going to give you the little breakdown on four or five of the top NBA prospects. Did you know Mark Cuban has a pharmacy? That's yeah, it's good too. It's going to, he's lower prices. It's oh, good. Really? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, Free Dylan. Market. I like it. Yeah, Dylan, our producer, found it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Thanks for your time. Of course. Anything. Peace out. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back. You know, for me, that's a, that's a lot of fun. One thing I like about my wife, and there are many things I like about my wife, love about my wife, is that she has real opinions based on real experiences. She's not one of these little Barbie dolls that gets on TV and says things that she don't even have any idea what they are saying. All you got to do is turn on ESPN, and you'll see that. Uh Here's the deal. The NBA draft is this week. And the NBA draft is interesting for a variety of reasons. But one of the things is the NBA has done not a good job, a great job, a great job of taking over the summer. You're going to see the draft, and that'll be this big deal. And then you'll see the summer league, and people are dying for summer hoops. So let's talk about the draft. Look, my number one prospect in the NBA draft is Paolo Banchero, and I'm going to tell you why. The NBA is a versatile game. Now, I just want you to think about what you just watched, okay? When you watch Steph Curry, you know what you're seeing? Four or five rebounds a night, six to eight assists a night, 30 points a night. You're seeing versatility. You're seeing a guy that can go get a lot of different things done. Paolo Banchero is that guy. And let me go through a little bit with you. Paolo Banchero is the kind of guy that when you're next to him, and I've told you this on this show many, many times, when you're next to him, he's bigger 
than what you think. I've not been next to him, but every single guy that I talk to about him says the same thing. When I see him on TV, he plays big. You know, he's six foot nine. He can shoot the basketball. He runs, he jumps, he spins off the dribble. He's got good separation technique and he's versatile. He could be a guard. I'm not saying he's a point guard. I'm saying he can be a guard in the mode, in the mode of Draymond Green. Now, does that mean he's going to be Draymond Green? No, he's going to be better statistically. But the question is going to become for him, Cade Cunningham last year, and the rest of the guys that are high picks, what are you about? What the hell are you about? Are you about winning? Are you about improvement? Or are you Miles Turner, who wants to be no better than what he is, go 12.6 rebounds, block some shots, and play with Legos? The great players in the NBA improve. I would argue the one thing I've got to find out about Banchero is what is he about? Is he a spoiled, entitled guy? Or is he a workaholic? Is he a guy whose three-point shot's going to become great? Now, here's a big deal. Difference between the NBA three-point line and the college three-point line is immense. But if Banchero is a guy, a real guy, and by real guy, I mean think about the great players in the league. Think about the great players in any league. They work on their craft. Hell, linemen work on their footwork and their hands up in the NFL. You know, defensive linemen work on boxing, work on jiu-jitsu, work on all kind of hand fighting to gain an advantage. Quarterbacks work on their accuracy. Most players, if not all players, work on their bodies. What are these four guys going to be about will determine their success. Look, you can go to any G League game and pretty much if, if, if you didn't have coaches in there <coughs> running just sets for the star, if you had... Shirts and skins, you wouldn't be able to tell Banchero from Holmgren, from Jaden Ivey, from 20 guys that played 10 years in the NBA and are still in the NBA. You couldn't tell the difference. However, if, these guys are uber talented though, and if in three years you can't tell the difference, then you got a real problem. And the number one thing I want to know, what are these guys about? And I'm telling you right now, there is not a single person on the planet that can tell you. Not one. What do you mean by that, Dan? Well, 20 years old, think about it, 20 years old, more money than you ever imagined, and free time. For Banchero, for Jabari Smith, for Chet Holmgren, for Jaden Ivey. 20 million, 20 years, whatever. All the free time in the world, more money in your pocket, more fame. Look, just by being associated with the NBA, you become a star. You ever see these little sideline guys on NBA broadcasts? They think there's something. You know, Stephen A. Smith says, I'm watching. Gives a crap about that. All, the media, the little shavers in the media want to be a part of it. So now you got more fame, more money, more women, more opportunity than you've ever had in your life at 20 years old. So nobody knows how they're going to react to that. I don't know how I would have reacted to that. Hell, I don't know. I didn't react well when I was 50. And I'm being serious. I was 50, divorced, women flying out. I mean, crazy. More money than I ever had. I didn't handle it. I'll be the first to tell you, I did not handle it well. Banchero's the best prospect. And teams are going to make a mistake not picking him first. And what's going to happen is... Uh, the next guys that I tell you, they're going to have nice numbers. 
their first years. And people are going to go, see, they're great. They're awesome. <laughs> Every guy that scores a bucket in the NBA is awesome. Guy, he's great. He's the best. Look at this. He's my boy. Look, okay, okay. All right, wonderful. Yay, Rod, go fight with. Team that takes Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith, six foot ten, shoot the living crap out of it. They say he can really pass. Great. I'm all in on him. If he can do the things that people actually say that he can do, then I'm all in on him. But the biggest issue with Jabari Smith is, is he versatile? You didn't see many six foot ten dudes just sitting out there shooting jump shots. I would argue that the ruination of Anthony Davis's career, while it probably is injury, could also be pinned to, oh, I got to shoot jump shots. And some dumbass is telling him, I got to shoot jump shots. I go to my stupid voice when stupid things happen. <laughs> my wife goes to stupid Dan voice. We call it stupid Dan voice. Anthony Davis should be the best combination post guy, maybe in the NBA, maybe in the history of the NBA, but he'll never be there. He gets injured too much, and for whatever the reason, he's a jump shooter now, and jump shooters don't win. Well, you gotta shoot jump shots, Dad, in the NBA. Don't you know about spacing? I do. I do. I do. I know a little bit about it. I mean, maybe not as much as some guy living in his daddy's basement wearing a Jason Kidd jersey with a white t-shirt underneath and a gold chain going, oh! every time somebody crosses somebody over, but I do know a little bit about it. And what I know about it is this. If you want to be a great player, and these four players, the ones I'm talking about, are picked not to be good. They're picked to be great. If you want to be a great player, then you better have some insights to you. You better have a game. That simple. You better be versatile. And I don't know that Jabari Smith is. Now, if you talk to coaches, of course Jabari Smith is. He's one of the most versatile players I've ever seen. He can do it all? Okay. Then why don't guys that can do it all end up doing it all in the NBA and only a certain few? See, I want John Moran. I'll get to that in a minute. I want John Moran. I don't want Miles Turner. I don't want this version of Anthony Davis. I want Anthony Davis when he used to go on the block, when he used to shoot that. If Jabari Smith becomes a jump shooter, I ain't in on him. And somebody's going to make a hell of a mistake because it looks like Jabari Smith's going to go number one. How much do you impact winning? Chet Holmgren. I think Chet Holmgren impacts winning. I think Chet Holmgren impacts winning, but I don't think Chet Holmgren has the body for the NBA. Now, that may be really stupid because people said the same thing about Michael Jordan. He was very skinny. Well, guess what Michael Jordan did? He lifted. People said the same thing about Steph Curry. Guess what Steph Curry did? He lifted. But I'm going to tell you what those two have in common, and I'm really curious to see how this works for Chet Holmgren. Michael Jordan had shoulders that were this wide. Steph Curry has shoulders that were that wide. Why? Chet Holmgren has shoulders that are this wide. And I got to tell you, it's tough in the NBA. I've said this all the time, and I'll say it again. I saw Anthony Davis in high school up in Fort Wayne. He was this big around at the waist and this wide at the shoulders. So you're like, look, he'll go to, he'll go to Kentucky. He'll get big and strong, and he'll be great. And he was. So Holmgren doesn't have that. Holmgren has one thing and one thing only. Um, one thing that Holmgren has is real ability and length, right? You're going to hear it all day, and Billis is great because he makes fun of himself talking about length, but you got to have length. Length closes passing lanes. Length uh, does not allow a teammate 
or excuse me, does not allow a post feeder to get the ball into a teammate. Length allows you to play off of a guy yet get out to a jump shot. I get the whole deal with length, and Holmgren has it. He has skill, too. He can shoot the basketball. I don't know if he can shoot it that deep. I don't know if he can shoot it with guys hanging on him. Block shots. It's a nice prospect. Somebody's going to make a mistake taking him. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong on everyone. I hope I'm wrong because I want everyone that's drafted to succeed. I do. I want them to succeed. I want these kids who seemingly are great guys, have worked their brains off to succeed. But the truth of the matter is not everybody does, even if you're a first 10 pick. And the truth of the matter is they're paying me to break this down. Holgren gets knocked on his ass too much. Now you say to yourself, what do you mean? Well, when I watched him play, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Duke. Got knocked down seven times. I I had the pen in there. Six times. (laughs) Yeah, he did. He did. He got knocked down that many times. Well, guess what? If you get knocked down like that in the NBA, it's some big, strong dudes knocking you down, and no one's going to help you out. I'm fascinated by Holmgren. Guy that I'm also fascinated by is Jay Nivey. See, if I were drafting somebody in this year's NBA draft, it would be Banchero or Jay Nivey. And you say, why, Dan? Well, because to me, Jay Nivey is the best thing you've got going relative to the current model. The current model is John Moran. Current model is Devin Booker. Current model is athletic as hell wingmen that can go do everything for you that have good size. Here's the key to Jay Nivey, massive hands. Like I watched Jay Nivey do that old Michael Jordan stuff where he's palming the ball. Second key, actually I got him reversed to Jay Nivey. Unbelievable explosive first step. Now I'll tell anybody that asks, best three first steps I've ever seen in basketball, LeBron James, Eric Gordon, and Gordon Hayward. May. I'll never forget sitting there after a practice at Butler with Brad Stevens going, you know, Brad, I, I didn't know Gordon Hayward had that quick a first step. Like, I, I, I knew he was good, obviously. I, I knew he was terrific, but I didn't know he had that first step. My goodness. Bam. That dude could get gone. That dude could get from here to there. And Ivy's got the same thing. And Ivy's got an array of jump shots. Ivy's got an array of finishes. He finishes with his chin on the rim. I know you missed that this college basketball season. That's what he does. And at the same time, at the same time, Jaden Ivey is a good shooter. Is he tough enough? I don't know. I felt like, um, what's the right word? I felt like Jaden Ivey felt in his bones that he was too good for college basketball this year. And that's never a good thing. Like, Michael Jordan always tried to improve. There's a story about Derek Jeter, who felt like every year the Yankees were trying to replace him, so he had to do something different. Our show's going gangbusters. And Dylan and Davey and Ryan and everybody involved have done a great job. But I feel like, oh, man, they're going to be nipping at my heels because there's somebody more handsome. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, um, you know, I get that. You can't feel like you're too good for college, and that was the feeling. People that are mad about Ivy's performance against St. Peter's, yeah, let it go. I'm worried about that. NBA doesn't worry about that. I mean, the NBA going to draft somebody first, second, third, fourth, damn near every year that uh, played in high school, played in some AAU tournament. You know what I mean? So stop. But at the end of the day, 
Jay Nivey has, oh, I hate to say this. Am I going to say, yeah, I'm going to say it, John Morant qualities. I'm going to get into more prospects tomorrow, but those four guys, at least in my little world, like I don't know Dyson Daniels. Dyson Daniels is probably really good, but he played in his G League. I don't know. And the dude Sharp wasn't competitive enough to play at Kentucky uh, for a year. Yeah, I get, I get all the rules, but how do you possibly go to Kentucky and sit out? I guess it's the modern world. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it gives me a headache. I'm going to go to Kentucky with those fans, and I'm going to sit there every night, and I'm going to say, wait a second, I don't want to play? Are you insane? Are you nuts? So I question. Now I know the NBA, I, they don't care about it, and they should. And I know I'm wrong. But I would question it. And if you don't like it, guess what? Don't at me. That's right. Don't at me about it. Competitors compete. That's it. Competitors compete. That's how I look at the world. Doesn't mean I'm right. Doesn't mean I'm right, ladies and gentlemen. But it means in my world, competitors freaking compete. Period. That's it. And if you don't think so, then God bless you. If you do think so, then you might be as smart as me. I don't know. I don't know. But the word on the street is he didn't play. He was waiting on the NBA. All right. We'll talk about him tomorrow. Did you guys know that Mark Cuban is trying to own his own pharmacy? Right? I mean, he is an entrepreneur. He sees an industry that's been run the same way for decades. He says, wait a second. Now listen to this. Here's what we said. That's what they saw in the prescription drug industry. Look, they're going to add transparency and an approach to keep drugs down. All right. Their cost, they will mark it up 15%. They'll add $3 shipping and handling, and that's all you'll ever pay. How about that? Um, he's got an MD, Osmanowski. Mathematician, MD, he's a rocket scientist, and all this kind of stuff. But Cuban has said, uh, we have 100 drugs that we can put on the market. They've added another 90. So now they started with 100. Now they're past 700. And while those first 700 plus are uh, generic, they will be adding brand, adding brand name drugs as well over the course of this year. And by the end of the year, we hope to have passed 2,000 drugs. He's trying to get insulin, EpiPens. Huh. If Cubans involved, all right, if Cubans involved, then you got to go. All right, listen to this. Healthcare in general, we know is really expensive. There's a law, Cuban says, that says the hospitals have got to show their pricing for their top procedures. All their pricing. And there are hospitals who are willing to take a $100 a day fine rather than show their pricing. And the fact that it's only $100 a day shows you it's not very serious. How about that? So Cuban has started his own pharmacy. Now, if Mark Cuban's in it, I got to tell you, it's probably pretty smart. It's probably well-organized. It's probably done very, very well. A lot of people are calling it a lifesaver. It's called the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company. Huh. 
I think the one thing that's interesting is when Cuban says, I see an industry that's been run the same way, I know it's been run wrong or it is running wrong. Market up 15%, 3% pharmacy handling fee, 5% shipping, and that's it. All right. And, ladies and gentlemen, he is telling you 30 count supply of 40 milligram will cost you $39. Retail at other companies, $9,657.30. A Twitter guy says, I just got a three-month supply of two of my prescriptions with the shipping with shipping for a total of 20 bucks. With insurance copay, I was paying $200 for a three-month supply. My mother's monthly prescription is only $14 on here, down from $270. Now, you think this is like an infomercial. It's not. Cuban is putting this on his, on his Twitter page. So those of you that are looking for Relief, I guess, is what you would say, from the drug industry. Cuban's your guy. I'm going to try to get Mark on the show here over the next couple of days. i got to figure it out. He, he's come on my indie show twice. I would love to get Cuban on here. There are, value, there are, of course, valid criticisms, it says here. They don't accept any forms of, of insurance. They face challenges in that it's limited how many generic prescription drugs it can offer currently. So if you want to learn more, uh, go to Cuban's Twitter handle, at Mark Cuban. I think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting. I think anything we can do to take corruption out of whatever it is that's corrupt, Big Pharma, right? Get rid of Big Pharma! How about we do something? How about, and this is what I think, why I think it's interesting. How about we do something in this world that's for us, not for profit? Now you say, well, there are many nonprofits out there. You know what I'm saying. Big things. How about instead of figuring out, man, uh, at the end of the day, let's help, not make. Is that possible? Let's help. Let's help people. Let's not just make them pay. Let's not make them suffer. You know, let's help not make. Let's not make them uncomfortable with what they have to pay. Let's help. I'm saying, I'm insane for even suggesting it. I don't know, but I like what Mark Cuban is doing. I do. So, there you go. Uh... A bet. Ladies and gentlemen, your friend, Double Delicious, that's what I'm calling myself from now on, Double Delicious. Double Delicious is on fire. That's right. I started yesterday with 100 and whatever dollars. So I bet a few guys. Turn that into 500, taking uh, uh, fit the Fitzpatrick kid. So when I say I'm on fire, you best believe I'm on fire. That's right. I'm going to take the Mets today. It's a one, uh, 110 start. The Mets are at home against the Marlins. It's only 55% juice. I ain't mad at 55% juice. But the big bet of the day, I'm telling you right now, I don't care. I don't care that the Avs just won 7 to nothing in, in game two 
of the NHL playoffs. I don't care. Do you know what the heart of a champion is? Can I explain it to you? It's when you, as the Tampa Bay Lightning, are in your third straight, your third straight Stanley Cup final, and you've won the last two, and you absolutely get embarrassed by what may be a better team. I'm not saying they're not a better team. I'm sure they are a better team. I mean, the abs are good. But I got to tell you something. I'm just going to tell you. The heart of a champion shows up tonight. It's minus, excuse me, minus 110 on the money line. All right? So basically, you got to bet $110 to get $100 back. $220, that'll get you $200 back. That's what I'm doing. I'm betting $220 to get $200 back on the avalanche tonight. Because what I'm, my goal is this. And this should be your goal. We're not betting. We're investing. We are betting on the Mets. That's a bet. We don't even know the pitchers. We know it's on at 1 o'clock. We know the bets are better than the Marlins. That's what's called a bet. Investing is what's the backstory. Well, the backstory on the Avs is they're really good. They just beat the living dog out of the Lightning in game two. Game one, instant classic, overtime goal wins it for the Avs. Okay, great. Now they're coming home to the light. See, you know, I don't even need to know who's on the Lightning. I don't even know who's hurt. I don't even need to know. What I need to know is this. This is the litmus test for a heart of a champion. You're coming home. You're defending champs twice. You're going to win this game and it isn't even going to be why. Why'd they win? Well, they got a great game from so-and-so. Sure. Why'd they win? Well, you know, they got a fantastic goaltending. Great. You don't even need all that for this game. And it may not work. Serious business. It may not work. But I'm telling you, it works 90% of the time in these instances. You're not sweeping a two-time champ. So you got to take the two-time champ on the money line tonight. Nothing fancy. It's minus 110. You bet 110, you get 100. You bet 55, you get 50. It's that simple. There are certain bets that you just have to make. And I used to think this was the dumbest thing alive when somebody said, yeah, I lost, but it was the right bet. This is that night. Look, if the abs beat the lightning, you tip your cap, good luck. But the right bet tonight is only spending 10% juice on a two-time champ at home after getting embarrassed. That will be the right bet tonight. That will be the right bet tomorrow. This is a bet that if I had any stones, and I may later, I should be betting $440, $1,100 on this one. This is the one you make your money on. This bet tonight may lose, but it'll still be the right bet. Thanks to my wife for coming on. Dylan, fantastic. Uh, is Ryan back? I don't even know. Is Ryan back? Davey, everybody that's involved here. Corey that sets up the audio. Fantastic, fantastic day. Congratulations to my Andrean 59ers, eighth state championship. I'm so proud to be an alumni of that school. Uh, I'll be on from noon to three coming up here this afternoon on 107.5 and 90. 3.5. Look, do me a favor. Look at me. 
if you get a chance, just retweet the show today. I like getting about thirty to 40,000 views a day on, uh, on Twitter. I do. Get a chance. You're out there. Just retweet it. I'm going to be retweeting different segments all day because Dylan and the boys are great in the back. They put them out. But, you know, retweet the show. All right. Have a fantastic afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been Don't At Me. Dockage out.